ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast, hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers, and researchers, and while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Welcome to Africa Forward, a podcast from Africa 50 produced by FP Studios. This series is dedicated to looking at how countries in Africa are building a new future for the continent by bolstering its infrastructure. I'm Aisha Sassay. And I'm Carol Pino. Today, we're going to focus on a part of infrastructure that's not nearly as visible as new power plants or bridges, but is vital to connecting Africa and promoting the free flow of commerce and ideas. It's a sector known as Information and Communications Technologies, or ICT. At Corporate Council on Africa's recent high-level dialogue on digital transformation to drive economic growth in Africa, Uhuru Kenyatta, president of Kenya, discussed just how much ICT can unleash big changes. Less than 20 years ago, to transfer money, you had to queue up in banks. Only 30% of our population had a bank account. Today, as we speak, as a result of digitization, as a result of technology, as a result of internet penetration, almost 95% of all Kenyans have access to financial services. This has been an incredible boost to growth in our country. Kenya's innovations in mobile banking didn't just benefit Kenyans and other Africans, it actually benefited the world. The mobile banking that many of us use today actually started in Africa with M-Pesa. Sunda Pachai, CEO of Google and Alphabet, who also spoke at Corporate Council on Africa's high-level dialogue, says he sees a future with African innovations having a global impact. You know, we are seeing it begin to happen in other markets where, you know, innovations from places like India, Indonesia are now being used outside. And I see that same journey in Africa. Kenya has such an entrepreneurial spirit. I've seen that with M-Pesa, digital payments. Across Africa, there are exciting new things happening, artificial intelligence. We opened our first AI research center in Accra in Ghana. And so I can, I can dream of that future in which there are innovations happening in Africa, which will be consumed by the rest of the world. Innovation in Africa is creating an investment boom in tech with Google, Microsoft, Facebook, the Jack Ma Foundation, and many other global players investing and collaborating with African startups. These investments are important for economic growth. But ICT's biggest power is its ability to transform life, to understand how. Let's go back in time. More than 10 years ago, I was filming a documentary in Kenya 
about a business plan competition. It was there that I met Oscar Kimani, a young man with a big personality. The person who's really good is Oscar. Yeah, he's the first one who's the best for this. I know I'm winning this thing. I can feel it. I'm so sure of that. Back then, Oscar was just 21 years old, the youngest in the competition. Tall, lanky, a huge grin, and full of bravado. As I wrote in my notes at the time, Oscar is a young man in a hurry. He thinks fast and talks even faster. I'm a village boy. This is my third year in the city. Oscar's family left their village to come to Nairobi, hoping for a better life for their children. They were living in a district of Nairobi called Kibera. Kibera is maybe the largest slum in this country. It is uh, low-cost housing nearest to the city. So it is a life where you find you're living in a one-roomed house. I didn't even have a TV then because there's no electricity. That means I don't have internet in the house. Thank God the school I was in had internet computer lab. To outsiders, Kibera is a chaotic labyrinth with a million or more people living in shacks. For residents of Kibera, it's a community and often the first step towards urbanization and building a better life. Oscar's story is a tale that is being told throughout Africa. It's the intersection of ICT and urbanization and how ICT is becoming a way forward for so many young Africans. Oscar didn't win the business plan competition, but I was certain a young man with that much drive would never be deterred. I recently caught up with him, and he proved my hunch right. Today, Oscar owns the Africa Press Desk, a successful public relations firm. Along the way, he's had several other businesses. But the thread that runs throughout is the Internet. ICT and the internet has been everything. Everything I'm doing right now, the jobs I've done, even Chora Business the Competition, where we met, I saw it online. I've taught myself public speaking, how to moderate conferences, development, all those things I've learned online. And I've traveled the world. I'm actually a member of World Economic Forum. From a one-room home in Kibera to the World Economic Forum. That's the power of the internet. Kenya has been at the forefront of the digital revolution in Africa, but that success also creates challenges. Moving everything online sounds great, but if people don't have access to the Internet, they will be left behind. In Kenya, almost every opportunity for young people is online. If you're applying for some, a loan from government for college education, a job or internship from the government, the application is online. Literally, everything is online. Now, we still have young people in villages walking for or traveling for 50 to 100 kilometers to find the internet. In this day and age, it's not right. For Oscar, he sees the challenges and wants to pay it forward. As a former boy from the village, he wants to make sure young rural Kenyans have access to online opportunities. I'm spearheading a project called Tech for Jobs. And what we are doing is this, we are trying to build digital centers in villages that have five, 10 computers and a good internet connection. And if a young person walks into that digital village and they ask, what can I do? They can be given a list of 10 jobs to apply. The access point is what is missing for many young people in this country. And that is internet because I believe they can be better than me and they can achieve way more than I've achieved. The internet has driven Oscar's success. But more than 10 years later, one thing remains the same. I'm hungry for change. I'm hungry to see people's lives change. So for that sense, Oscar is still in a hurry.
ICT drove Oscar's journey from a village boy to a successful entrepreneur. It connects Africans to each other and to the world, allows researchers to collaborate, entrepreneurs to grow businesses, artists to share their visions, and citizens to hold leaders accountable. And even in the midst of a global pandemic, children can continue learning. Mobile phones have made giant strides in Africa, with penetration over 100% in some countries. But only about 40% of Africans have access to the internet. That's the digital divide, and the reason why throughout the continent, access to reliable and affordable internet connectivity is increasingly seen as a human right. According to the World Bank, Africa will need $100 billion of investment to achieve universal internet access in Africa by 2030. This money needs to be spread into both large-scale infrastructure and smaller solutions that have the potential to scale. The goal is to build ICT infrastructure that can both impact lives and deliver strong commercial returns. Later in our podcast, we'll hear from the person responsible for Africa's first north-to-south undersea fiber optic cable. It was laid in 2009 along Africa's eastern coast, and it was a game-changer. But those cables are like a superhighway. You still need networks to go from the main highway to reach the towns, villages, and eventually individual houses. Reaching that last mile, as it's often called, is extremely complex and costly. You have to send a cable or a wireless connection to every single home. So um, the cost escalates massively the closer you get to the customer. That was Andy Halsale, CEO of Poa Internet in Kenya. Hello, thank you for contacting Poa Internet. My name is Ryan. How may I assist you today? Hi, my name is Stella and I'm having an issue with my speed. Hi Stella, uh, could you please assist me with your account number? Let's consider one gigabyte of data, which is about enough to watch one movie in standard definition. To get that one gigabyte of data from London to Mombasa on the Kenyan coast, it costs about one cent. From Mombasa to Nairobi, the Kenyan capital about 300 miles inland, it costs another penny. But that's as far as the data superhighways go. Now to move the gigabyte from Nairobi to a business or someone's home, it can cost $2 or more, depending on how far and how remote. Accessibility and affordability. Those are the new challenges for ICT infrastructure. Fortunately, several companies are stepping up to the challenge, including Poa Internet in Kenya. You know, you have about 20% of the population online. Those people who are online can't afford to use very much. Um, and, and that's a, you know, a, a fundamental inhibitor to, to so many things. Uh, and we've spent the last few years building a, a way of delivering internet that removes some of the frictions that stop people connecting. POA uses a wireless technology based on Wi-Fi. It requires less equipment per customer, and along with their own software, it keeps the cost down. Yeah, so this isn't mobile. This is a, a connection delivered to people's homes. And um, the, the experience is exactly the same as you'd be familiar with in the West. Uh, the big difference is that the the price we charge, we're $15 a month. So it, it really is the same experience you would get if you ordered broadband in the West, but at a price point that works in Africa. The average Kenyan consumes about 200 megabytes of data a month, the equivalent of watching 20 minutes of YouTube. With unlimited data, 
Halsell says his customers are using on average 200 gigabytes of data per month. That's about a thousand times more data. These are markets where previously the only connectivity, if there was any at all, was through older mobile technology. And the cost for 200 gigabytes of data with 3 or 4G would have been a whopping $400. If the cost of data is too high, people really minimize the amount of internet they use. Getting rid of that barrier is, is, is critical. It's not just getting people online, it's getting them to fully engage with the richness that the internet can bring. Then they will start to engage in e-commerce and in digital content and in advertising and all these, all these other things. So many services and opportunities that are taken for granted elsewhere remain challenging as long as connectivity and affordability are impediments. E-commerce businesses that have sprung up in the West don't duplicate into Africa very well until you get to the point where nobody cares about the cost of the data that they're consuming. Unlimited data means full access to e-government services, telemedicine, mobile banking, e-commerce, and so much more. It also means being able to watch and share videos and engage with the world through social media and other platforms. Companies like POA are finally making it possible to breach the digital divide, particularly with their focus on reaching lower-income communities. Certainly we've seen some of the existing suppliers kind of focusing on the middle and the upper-class markets in the places we operate, which tend to be low-income urban communities and increasingly rural communities. We're the only operator providing uh, a home internet service. Uh, You know, there's a huge market there, but nobody knows how to serve them. Halsell says the key to success is staying local, particularly having a sales force from the area that really knows the community. That gives them a number of advantages. When we go into these communities, we build relationships with all the big community actors. So we give free internet to the school teams. We work with sort of churches, youth groups. So it becomes a kind of self-fulfilling mechanism that the community supports. Accessibility and affordability open up a world of possibilities. Mobile phone penetration in Africa proved there were fortunes to be made at what is often referred to as the bottom of the pyramid. Wholesale is betting the same will be true for Internet service. That profitability will ensure that more companies and new technologies will also enter the market to create the ICT infrastructure needed to enhance accessibility and affordability. Advances in ICT are happening in almost every country in Africa. But let's just stick with Kenya for a moment. Another entrepreneur who's been tackling internet connectivity is Juliana Rotich, the co-founder of Brick, a company that developed an affordable and portable piece of hardware which can serve as a backup for connecting to the internet when the power goes down. During a 2013 TED Talk, Rotich spoke about how challenges can also become opportunities. Out of adversity can come innovation. And how can we help the ambitious coders and makers in Kenya to be resilient in the face of problematic infrastructure? And for us, we begin with solving the problem in our own backyard in Kenya. Another driver of Africa's digital transformation has been the construction of innovation cities. One example is the Kigali Innovation City in Rwanda, a technology innovation hub which is bringing together the brightest talent from across Africa to craft solutions tailored for the continent. Universities such as African Leadership and Carnegie Mellon have established their own campuses. Further developments will include a technology hub, office spaces, 
startup business incubators alongside supporting facilities for retail and hospitality. Other African countries are also developing their own technology innovation cities. For a closer look at how one works, let's turn now to the small West African nation of Benin. The country's economy is primarily based on agriculture, but recently the government began to look for ways to expand. What they landed on was tourism, but especially knowledge. So Seme City is to be a catalyst for a knowledge-based economy in Benin. That's Claude Berner. She's the Managing Director and Chief Innovation Officer of Seme City, a tech innovation campus that is Benin's version of a smart city. So Seme City is the International Knowledge and Innovation City. And so the city is developed in an area that's 200 hectares. And the aim of it is to be a catalyst for a knowledge-based economy in Benin. And it's, you know, how do you enable a high growth entrepreneur to actually improve their product and services, their skill sets, their employee skill sets? Where do you go to do that? Seme City actually has three pillars education, um, but it's a combination of higher education, vocational training. So we're actually even um, training people um, for jobs that almost don't exist yet. The second part is entrepreneurship or what we call high growth entrepreneurship, high impact entrepreneurship, the type of entrepreneurship that creates not five or 10 jobs, but like 200 jobs. And then we realized that we were missing research or maybe experimentation. You know, how do you improve their product and services, their skill sets? We're talking about research that is applied to solving problems. We're five kilometers from the border of Nigeria. We're in front of a new special economic zone. So there is a lot of traffic. In, in terms of location, it's perfectly located. But then it also has all the issues that you can find in a, a, a city in Africa. When it rains, you have water up until your knees. We have a really beautiful coastal front, but there is coastal erosion. It's, it's actually a very good place for us to put a knowledge and innovation city because we are going to tackle these issues and we're going to find solutions that work for our environment. So the energy and the willingness of Africa's youth to transform their environment is there and it's amazing. I think if we're able to give our youth the opportunities, the visibility, the tools and the financing, of course, then I think unbelievable things are going to come out of Africa. That was Claude Berner, Managing Director and Chief Innovation Officer of Sema City. Innovation hubs act as an ecosystem builder. They're all about driving innovation and building a generation of tech-savvy Africans. That's also the goal for Betel Hamdesi, an Ethiopian tech entrepreneur. At nine years old, she taught herself video editing on a computer at her father's electronics store and then taught herself to code because she wanted to earn her own money. 
By 10, the Ethiopian government was paying her to code. Today, she has four patents to her name, three more shared patents, and she's the founder and CEO of Anyone Can Code. Oh, and she's still only 21 years old. So uh, Anyone Can Code focuses on teaching young kids uh, and young adults on emerging technologies uh, and helping develop their cognitive abilities of problem solving, analytical thinking and creative thinking through learning emerging technologies such as coding and robotics. We develop different kinds of programs, after school programs, summer camps, uh, but also programs specific to girls uh, and also specific to innovators and those who want to create startups. We have seen a lot of people uh, come up with solutions to their local problems by the tools that we provided them through coding. We have seen them start their own businesses by providing different kind of e-commerce services, uh, but also things that are very special and unique to their area. Coding is the tool that we provide for them to build the solution that they need. So we are really, really proud of what we have accomplished through our Anyone Can Code program. We have been able to educate about 20,000 kids so far. And uh, we want to expand that even more in even more cities. So what we're hoping to do now is uh, open more centers throughout the country, hopefully in the next few years, but also uh, work a lot more on our research and development activities. We have gathered a lot of knowledge by working with different international companies on artificial intelligence. So we want to make sure to transfer that knowledge to the community, but also do work on sectors such as healthcare, agriculture and education to improve the lives um, of the people besides educating the young kids and adults. That was Bethlehem Desi, the founder and CEO of Anyone Can Code. Building the ICT that Africa needs is complex. There needs to be the right basic infrastructure, access to affordable internet connectivity, education and skills training, Ecosystems that encourage innovation and startups that connect digital solutions with social challenges. But how does this all work together? What's the overall strategy for leveraging resources and attracting more investment? Here to talk about what's been happening and what's on the horizon are Paula Ingabire, the Minister of ICT and Innovation in Rwanda. She's worked hand-in-hand -hand with President Kagame to help grow the country's tech economy. We're also joined by Brian Herlihy. This is the guy I told you about earlier. In 2007, he launched Seacom and built Africa's first-ever north-to-south submarine fiber-optic cable, which runs along the entire east coast of Africa. We're also very pleased to welcome Oma Saliwa Adeyemi. She's the global head of expansion and partnerships at Flutterwave. Flutterwave is a leading platform in Africa for digital payments. Thanks so much, everyone, for being with us. Minister Ingabire, over the past 20 years, we've seen such unbelievable transformation in ICT, from cell phones first coming to Africa to mobile banking, which actually started in Africa. Rwanda has really been a leader in ICT. How have you seen ICT transform people's lives in Rwanda? Thank you, Carol. As you rightly said, uh, for us, it's been a journey that we've been at for about 20 years now. And that was premised on the fact that um, 
one where a country with limited natural resources and coming out of you know the genocide against the Tutsis and really thinking about what is the you know recovery journey going to look like. I think a lot of this has been enabled by the investments that governments collectively with our partners, development partners, private sector have made in terms of deploying the much needed necessary infrastructure as a foundation for this digital economy. Now we have have been for the longest time a heavily agriculture-based economy, but we needed to understand how do we unlock the potential when it comes to agriculture, increasing productivity, connecting farmers to markets because they made the biggest part uh, of our population. Then there was also, of course, healthcare. Just like any country where you're thinking about how do we improve access to healthcare, and not just healthcare, but quality healthcare. You talked about mobile banking and cell phones. How do we leverage this tool? to enable citizens to have easy access to these healthcare services. Um, and so we've been able to attract companies like Babil, um, which provides digital healthcare fast kind of intervention. And so you don't have, people don't have to go and line up at a health facility, but they're able to call in uh, and, and you know, get the very immediate attention that they're looking for. And of course, we, we're still making more and more investments because at the heart of our digital transformation agenda is inclusivity. So how do we continuously ensure that all these programs that we are rolling out as a government, that our private sector is rolling out, can reach everyone equitably and in an affordable manner? Brian, you're hardly old enough to be the granddaddy of anyone. And yet your company, Seacom, is the granddaddy of it all. As far as laying cables, you laid that first north to south cable along the east coast of Africa. Can you tell us how Seacom transformed ICT in Africa? Sure, uh, Carol. You know, the telecom explosion that happened across the globe in the late 90s, uh, where submarine cables were laid all across the Atlantic and Pacific and around Asia and, and South America, really skipped over the African continent. So when I initiated CECOM, there was two gigabits of capacity servicing all of East Africa through satellite, you know, and that was it. So I think you know the key for us when we built CECOM wasn't just the physical, because cables had been built elsewhere and not had the effect that we wanted to. But it's really changing the mindset of the business case, you know, creating this open access mentality, creating the idea that infrastructure ICT investment begets further ICT investment. You know, and, and we found investors who believed in that. And as you're well aware, 100% of the funding for STECOM came from the African continent. Um, we were able to you know, build a cable that led to 5,000% growth in data within the first year of landing on, on the African continent. Yeah, and there really was an explosion of activity throughout East Africa, throughout the entire region that you were enabling. Yeah, we, we always like to note, you know, our investment was $600 million, but within the next three years, there was $8 billion of follow-on terrestrial fiber investment in East and South Africa. Wow. Yeah, so it was really one of those classic catalysts, you know, that enabled others to put their money to work. So Omaseliwa, and I should say that you most often go by O, so we'll call you that from here on. One of the most exciting aspects of ICT is the potential for disruptive technologies, and Flutterwave most certainly has been that. You have a continent of 54 countries, more than 40 currencies, and until Flutterwave, no universal payments platform. You talk about increasing intra-African trade. You talk about the Continental Free Trade Agreement. 
I don't even know how those things are possible without a flutter wave kind of, of technology. When we started out, um, we looked at the African continent. Each country has on average three, maybe four different types of digital payments, but no unified platform that connects all of those payment types and makes it easy to transact across countries, sometimes even within country across payment types. So what we're doing today is uh, going from country to country across Africa, working with regulators, working with financial institutions such as banks, such as the mobile network operators, and we're asking to connect to their infrastructure so that we can facilitate both debits and credits from any payment instruments that they have issued in an attempt to make it easier for businesses or individuals who want to operate in Africa to have an easy time of doing so. So a business could wake up today, set up an online store today, and be active in over 13 countries in Africa because of the network that we've been able to build. That really just made the case for how important it is to have an enabling environment and the role that governments really need to play. Minister, the world is in the midst of what we're often hearing is the fourth industrial revolution, a digital revolution. And ICT infrastructure, the infrastructure that's being built in Africa now, will determine whether or not Africa is part of that revolution, whether it benefits from it. Do you think that Africa will benefit from the digital revolution, maybe even leading in some areas through leapfrogging innovation? Or are you concerned that Africa will be left out? I think the answer is yes, Africa will lead. Uh, I think the benefit we have uh, as a continent is we don't have legacy infrastructure. And so that means we're not going to get bogged down on what investments have been made in the past. When you look at the ITU statistics where you see that half the world's population is connected and the other half is not connected, in essence, a bigger chunk of that is on the continent. Uh, but I think there's also an opportunity because what is being unlocked is the potential to say, how do we mobilize and aggregate demand as a continent to understand how we can roll out infrastructure in a much more affordable manner, but also in an inclusive manner that allows us to make sure that no one on the continent uh, is left behind. Because truth be told, at the end of the day, if technology is not well implemented, it will there's a danger of amplifying inequalities. And, and of course, with the pandemic, it has been clear that, that digital is the way. Brian, you know, Africa right now accounts for, I think, less than 1% of the local global data center capacity. But with the continent being the fastest growing region for smartphones and so much ICT activity, the need for data storage is most certainly going to increase, right? I understand there's nowhere near enough capacity right now. So is this an opportunity for investors to come in? Yeah, I, I believe so. You know, ICT is an infrastructure sort of snuck up on us. Certainly, Africa is well positioned to rethink the whole process. I mean, data will drive all of you know technology's revolution. It's it's really how we exploit it. Um, so I do think there's a big rethink that has to happen. You know, I also think ICT has created a, a model for different ways of investing. You know, we always think you have to go in and sort of solve the problem in one big chunk or two big chunks. You know, what I loved about the mobile industry in Africa is you built out a tower and then that tower built out a credit history around it of customers. And then you built out five towers and then you built out credit history around that and then 20 towers and then 200 towers and so on and so on. 
there's no reason that same model can't be rolled out again, whether it's in data or electricity or, you know, water solutions and the like, you know, so I do think Africa has an ability to break down traditional infrastructure investment and use digital to its advantage to rethink how it's being done. Oh, what do you find are the hurdles that are inhibiting your growth? What kinds of things are you running into that are not enabling environments that you found when you went into Rwanda? Um, In some of the African countries where we operate, we're required to host data locally, which we understand the need for privacy and why such uh, regulations are in place. Um, It doesn't necessarily impede our ability to roll out. It just kind of slows down our pace, um, especially because sometimes we actually will struggle to find data center providers who can adequately resource our needs. A big one is also just talent. So finding people to run operations in the country who are not only familiar with technology, but familiar with financial technology has proven to be challenging in a lot of instances. You bring up such an important point with this issue of talent. Rwanda's done a lot in that regard. You have Carnegie Mellon University in Africa that's based in Rwanda. You have iHubs. Minister, tell us about the focus on training tech talent. So the way we approach talent is um, it's a layered approach. So it's more like a pyramid. So at the bottom of the pyramid, what you're looking at is really basic digital literacy skills that you should find every citizen empowered with to be able to consume the services and, and the platforms and the tools that you're putting at their disposal. And then, of course, the next layer up then goes into the education system, thinking about all these STEM fields all the way from, uh, you know, primary to higher learning institutions, where you have more and more young people excited about STEM. And of course, at the top of that pyramid is where you have the likes of uh, uh, Carnegie Mellon, because now you're you're now honing in onto specialized tech skills that are needed, data science skills, cybersecurity, that are really critical to how you unlock the different innovation aspects of, uh, of the digital economy. These initiatives are great, but clearly we need more incubators of talent. Oh, what do you think can be done to really grow tech talent throughout Africa? Definitely, I would like to see more partnerships between public and private sector. Uh, As a private entity, there's not much I can do about the educational sector in my country, but I can bring my knowledge about tech and I can bring some of the influences I have with other tech companies to public sector to partner with them to create programs that would really help um, the entire country develop uh, more talent and focus on gender balance, of course, as well. Brian, we often hear about the digital divide in Africa, that there are sort of the haves and have-nots. And certainly COVID has really brought that out, where we see uh, people are working from home, schooling is happening at home, that the digital divide has really gotten bigger not just in Africa, but everywhere in the world, but particularly in Africa. What do you think is the investment that needs to be done in order to further bridge that divide? Yeah, Carol, that's a huge subject. Um, At the fundamental level in Africa, you can't have a child having digital access if they don't have energy access. You know, so there are some fundamentals where I would guess about 600 million people in Africa still don't have access to at the same level. 
I mean, just spend time in Lagos. You know, how frequently is your power going out? How frequently are you running on generator? So I think some great strides have been made over the last 20 years, but certainly not enough to overcome the digital divide. And, and there's a lot of fundamental infrastructure work that needs to be done to ensure that the education work can be scalable and sustainable. Very quickly, I think it's also the mindset change, really understanding that even as a continent, what we see as emerging technology is not something that is designed for a certain class of the world, but it's something that we all uh, should be able to embrace. But when it also comes to something like infrastructure, what can we do with the limited resources we have to say, how do I take electricity and connectivity to the same place? How do we bundle some of these services? So one of the things that we're exploring here because we know devices are very expensive for a good uh, segment of our population, especially the low income earners, is to say, while we want to think of a device financing mechanism, how do we back it into uh, you know, this rural electrification program of taking solar panels to homes? And so you get a solar home panel, you get a TV set, you get a, a, a mobile phone, because that's what you're going to use in paying back those monthly installments that you have to pay back. But then I've also enabled you the opportunities. So being very deliberate about that, I believe is going to unlock a lot of these things that we're discussing. You know, ICT is unusual because you put in cell phones, but you could never imagine that banking would come out of that. Even new technology seems to bring about new explosions that we can't even predict where that will take us. It's the classic ripple effect, only it's major waves. But that said... Let's see if we can look a bit into the future. Brian, I'd love to start with you. What do you see as the future if we get infrastructure and ICT right? Where will Africa be? Yeah, well, I think I'm going to build on what Honorable Minister said about exploiting other infrastructure and bundling. You know, I think investors love the idea. You know, if you were to define this in, in sort of American parlay, you know, you're building a utility and then that utility is adding additional services on top of it. Oh, give us your vision for the future. Where do you think Africa will be? Imagine the leaps that we could make if we just had the support system and the infrastructure in place to allow the up and coming generation to innovate, build and solve problems. So if we can make the investments um, in the really key sectors, uh, education, power, access to healthcare, I think Africa is very well poised to be really the next uh, influential continent across the world. And Minister Ngabire, your thoughts on the future? I think my vision is one where, yes, once we build the, the much needed uh, infrastructure, digital connectivity infrastructure, is how do we build capacity one, to build solutions to the challenges that may be unique to the continent in itself. But also, uh, my vision is also the being able to see those kind of multilateral uh, collaborations that are needed to scale uh, many of these uh, innovations. Thank you so much. You know, our discussion has really shown how integrated everything is. That in order to have ICT, you have to have electricity, you have to have education and skills training, and, of course, financing for that infrastructure and ICT. And in an earlier episode of this podcast, we talked about roads and transport. Well, there's no point in having e-commerce if you can't get the goods to the people. So ICT really brings out just how integrated all of this is. It's really been fantastic having all of you here with us today. It's been a great discussion. Paula Ingabire, 
the Minister of ICT and Innovation in Rwanda, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Carol. And Brian Herlihy, founder of CECOM. Thank you, Carol. Thanks to the other participants. And Omasaliwa Adeyeme, O, Global Head of Expansion and Partnerships at Flutterwave. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Carol. It's been a really insightful discussion. And thanks to my co-host, Carol Pino, for conducting that roundtable. That will do it for this episode of Africa Forward. I'm Aisha Sasei. Our program was produced by Carol Pino, along with Africa 50 and FP Studios. Africa Forward is a podcast of Africa 50, produced by Carol Pino and FP Studios. All opinions and views in this podcast do not necessarily reflect that of Africa 50 or FP Studios. For more information on Africa 50, please check out Africa and then the numbers 50.com. And for more on FP Studios, you can head to foreignpolicy.com and click on podcasts. Thanks for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill, or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast, hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers and researchers, and while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.